Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host, producer, and sports writer for LSJ, and joining me as always is Detroit Free Press beat writer Chris Solari and Lansing State Journal sports columnist Graham Couch. Chris, I'll start with you. How are you doing on this beautiful Wednesday late morning? Getting ready for some basketball later this afternoon, and then tomorrow night's a basketball game, and I don't think there's anything else going on other no. than that, right? Just, just, just hoops. Just, you know, the big, the biggest thing going on right now is the Grand Valley exhibition game. Just like the Ferris State game last week was the, the big thing. I'm sure we're going to devote, you know, at least three fourths of the podcast to that. So yeah. I'm looking forward to that. I mean, two hours minimum. So I hope you guys are, are ready okay. to break down Malik Hall's game at this point. Graham, how are you? Yeah, you know, doing well. Um, I'm actually in a, a hotel in Detroit. Went to a Pistons game last night. You know, had some wonder, wonderfully, ironic, wonderfully ironic that I am in Lansing and you are in Detroit. Right, right. No, I wound up in a suite. It was pretty cool, uh, to be honest, to live like. But I, I did also realize that I could not be a, a rich person because uh, my guilt for the working man is is great when I'm in a suite and my uh, my tips uh, for drinks were exorbitant. So I because I feel so guilty. Anyway, I don't know if that was interesting you shared but yeah <laughs> what's your scattering report on Cade cunningham that whole pistons team's in trouble oh boy <laughs> yeah, well we'll see I mean, it's, it's early it's early it's the second game he's played give it time give it time that's much much happier we'll get back to malik hall's game later but uh, i think we'll go ahead and start the podcast here talking about the college football playoff rankings that were released late on tuesday night and uh, michigan state is third in the initial college football playoff rankings which is a crazy sentence to say uh, if you think about where this team was two months ago, and uh, it's, it's just the plight of this college football season, it's just been really crazy. A lot of upsets, a lot of teams that are usually up, uh, sort of down at the moment, although some of them are picking up steam, i.e. Ohio State and Oklahoma. But uh, yeah, I'll just kind of rattle off the top four here with uh, Georgia, of course, number one. Alabama, perhaps very surprisingly or not surprisingly at all, depending on your outlook on this, number two, MSU three, and an, another maybe bit of a surprise, depending how you feel about other schools, Oregon comes at number four with that uh, win in Columbus over Ohio State early in the season, really kind of you know vaulting them into that number four spot for the time being. So my personal thought was when I saw Michigan was ranked seventh in, in, the, in the rankings, I thought that was going to be Michigan State number two. So I was a little surprised to kind of see the number three. But, uh, I mean, number three at this point, nothing to sneeze about. But we also still have five, six weeks of the season left. So there's going to be a lot of changes, you know, through that top four, top eight before uh, before season's end. No, no question. I mean, it's it's it, it, this is a real – I mean, if you look at the history of the initial rankings to where things wind up, November is usually chaos that we cannot anticipate. And, you know, like I'm not thrilled with – not just like Cincinnati's ranking, for example, but um, 
I'm not through with the explanation, sort of the dismissive nature of the explanation is what bothered me more than anything. But really, as much as people are packed about that and other things, so much is going to happen um, between now and then that, 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 that's going to shape this thing. And the cool thing for MSU, because I don't think anybody, Chris, you can agree with me on this, anybody, like nobody thought Michigan State was going to be here. And I don't think MSU fans really view Michigan State even now as a team that's probably likely headed for the playoff or competing for a national title. And I think it's just kind of fun to be in the discussion at 15 when I think people really wanted that experience to happen. I think if you told people right now, hey, playoff against Alabama or New Year's Six game and be in the Rose Bowl, what would you prefer? I think half of Michigan State fans at least would sign up for the Rose Bowl to skip the Alabama playoff experience. I don't know if it would be half, but I mean, no I, way. I do think that no way. I, I, I don't. I think it would be a lot more that would want to play for the national title. Absolutely, um, because that. That's, I mean, that's ultimately what that 2015 season showed. Um, you know, then you already had the Rose Bowl in 13. Now that's that's not discounting because I do think that, you know, if that ends up being the case and the Rose Bowl is whatever you want to call it, the a consolation prize, um, because they obviously have Ohio State and Georgia and Alabama have to play. Um, you know, there's 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 going to be so much shakeup. I mean, people have. Uh, you know how many times, uh, you, you know, at this time of the year, I like to talk about college football amnesia. And people forget sometimes how wild November can be, except Graham. Graham remembers. Because, that's, I mean, that's, there's going to be upsets. There's going to be games that you see that, that teams lose that they're not supposed to. I mean, we've already seen it with Alabama losing to Texas A&M. So, I mean, you know, but in terms of the rankings themselves, um, you know, I, three seems high, but. You know, this is kind of a, a – I think Gary Barta did give at least one thing that, that, you know, the three through nine were really discussed a lot. I'm not necessarily sure that Alabama, two was discussed enough, but that's a whole other thing. And, you know, the win over Michigan is a little bit of recency bias, but also because Michigan is a very good team. They were very complimentary of, of that game, uh, Kenneth Walker, and how strong Michigan is. So they gave Michigan State – a lot of credit for that win. Um, you know, how much that helps, you know, long-term we'll see, because I mean, all these teams have big games ahead of them and right. that'll make or break this. And it's just a snapshot right now. Uh, but it's a snapshot that Michigan state hasn't been in since 2018. And really they were at 18th, I think that year for one week. And in 17, they were in the picture uh, deep into the season with that. I think throughout the, I think they were in every one of the rankings in 17 and got as high as number 12. Uh, and that was the year that they, they went into Columbus, had a chance to win out and win the big 10 East division and got their doors blown off. So the, there's some, there's some knowledge that, hey, listen, this is only a momentary thing, but to do this, you have to keep winning. You have to, continue to impress the the committee and you know you can't have these stumbles at purdue you can't have a stumble against maryland i mean you know this is you you got to i think mel tucker's done a good job of this you got to take care of the business now and not worry about those big games against ohio state and penn state until they get there yeah when uh i i'm not that my opinion really matters much in the scheme of college football rankings on twitter but like when i just kind of threw up a, a random uh tweet yesterday i had michigan state number two 
in my, in my prediction. So I don't think number three is is that high at all, to be honest with you, Chris. I think that they've got the results that kind of put that put them there at the moment, especially when you look at the rest of the teams, rest of the teams that are in the mix, and the fact that this is at this point been a pretty wonky college football season with you know Oklahoma struggling against the Kansas of the world, which is something you can never predict, and uh, you know Ohio State with the loss already, for example. So. Well, yeah, and I mean, you know, that's I, I asked actually Gary, Gary Barta about how much they looked at the Miami games. Miami on a neutral field in the, in the the opener, and they handled them fairly well. Michigan State goes on the road and plays an actual road game at Miami, and really does about the same. Maybe a little less in terms of offensive production and a little more struggles, uh, but really kicked it into gear in the second half and, and left no doubt. So, you know, that was, that was one of the things that I thought might be a little more of a determining factor for Michigan state being up at, at two, because there is a, a common opponent right there, um, which you don't necessarily have between a big 10 and, a, and an SEC team at this point of the year to, to kind of weigh out. So, uh, but it doesn't help that Miami's also four and four and has had the struggles they've had. So, um, you know, how much weight that is versus a, a, a top 10 game uh, like Saturday against Michigan. I, I think that one carried a little more weight, but still, Alabama's got the one loss. What's so interesting to me is that, like, this is where, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Gary Barter. And if you saw my tweet last night, you can, you probably can read that. I just don't, <laughs> I mean, not just as an AD, as just as a committee member. It, but I think it's also like the committee has got to pick a lane. Okay, if you if we want to say it's the most deserving, then I, and then then I I I have certain there are certain arguments you can make. Michigan State very high, um, eight and zero, one has won four games that could have gone the other way by finishing strong. Um, you know, if you want to go just based on best teams, then there's another argument for that puts Bama higher, right, and things like that, and like Cincinnati. Like, I mean, it just, like, if, I don't know if they've watched Oregon lately, but Oregon is, I would love to see this Oregon football team beat Cincinnati. I would love to see it. Not going to happen. It just wouldn't happen. Yeah. Oregon also also lost their best player, like, or best offensive player when CJ Verdell went out for the year. So that's really kind of hurt things too. They lost to a three and five Stanford team. And, you know, that is something as well. You know, one of the things that I think was really interesting was how much Barta talked about. Kenneth Walker being a factor in this. Because I'm not sure a Mark Antonio team, you know, let's say it's the 2013 or 2015 version of Michigan State. I don't know if they're even ranked number three. No, they but wouldn't because have been, yeah. they have the they have the star power of Kenneth Walker, and he kept saying Kenneth Walker, Kenneth Walker, Kenneth Walker. It, it's clear that they're looking at individual players when this comes into this which as well. Is which, which is which is if every college football coach has told me in the history of my coverage and every other coverage that this is the ultimate team game and it's 11 men and all of this. No, it, it comes down to star power and eyeballs. I'm, I'm thrilled for Michigan state and its fan base in the moment it's going through. I think there's so many good storylines. It's such a good year and they have earned this. I mean, they, they have won. There is a mental toughness to that team and, and a, uh, the, the keep chopping isn't, isn't fake. Like it is other, the Peyton Thorne had a great line about, you know, other teams break and, and I don't think Michigan state does. And, and uh, so I, I have no issue with that. It's the inconsistency of it, and it's the dismissive nature towards Cincinnati. Who else have they played? Yeah. Who else have they played? You want to look at the rest of the schedule? Like it's 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 viewing other teams because they played brands. And you know, Wisconsin's a great example of a team that 
has been very two very different teams this year. And at a certain point, most teams in the country could have beaten Wisconsin. Right now, I'm not sure very many teams can. And as the committee, you're not supposed to be every other fan. You're supposed to be sophisticated enough to read the room, to see the two different sides, to see what a team is early, what a team is late, who a team truly is when they beat, beat somebody, to watch the games. The, the committee does not look sophisticated enough to be up for the job, and that's where I'm, that's where I'm annoyed by it. And, and um, it, you know, I, I've said for years it's got to go to 8 or 12. I love 12. But it just, you know, and again, ultimately this usually shakes out okay. Um, and so hopefully, hopefully it will, and it will all play it, play itself out. And I, you know, from the Michigan State angle, which I think most people listening to this are um, most interested in, if Michigan State can win Saturday and, and not have this conversation really end with a loss at Purdue, and it won't end entirely. If Michigan State came back and won in Columbus or whatever, they'd be back in the in the conversation. They have those opportunities. That's why the Michigan win was so big because ultimately, when you're talking about playing for a conference championship and all the conversations that come. You don't want to slip up someplace you shouldn't. What's part of what's made this MSU team is it's won every game it possibly can. But you now have, um, you know, you have some tiebreaker potential depending on what happens with Michigan and other three-way ties and other things. But there, I mean, there's a you're going to have a chance to play for something unless you you you, you, you beat if you beat Purdue. Um, first of all, I think that's a scarier game than Maryland at home. Yeah. There's a, either way you're going to go into Ohio State playing for something. Um, so that, that that's why this week is so interesting, and and I think look, you look at the Vegas line; it's what minus three for MSU. It is not much. You look at the history of MSU against Purdue; even very good teams, even teams that have survived uh, and had good seasons, 2013 and 15, not great years uh, again, great performances against Purdue, um, and 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 that's not even talking about 99 and some of the historical stuff. But you know, this is this is a week where MSU is going to have to be who it is, and. and might have to win another close game, or who has been? I mean, well, looking looking at it from the rankings perspective, I mean, these are important games because I mean, listen, the, all four of these teams have winning records that Michigan State has left, and and kind of going back to Cincinnati, you want to know why Cincinnati dropped to where they did? Because they they were up fourteen to twelve at Tulane, which is one and seven, because yep. they barely hung on at Navy, which is two and six. No That's problem. why they are. Whether they're eight zero or not. That's the recency bias. Michigan State right now is coming off the recency bias of having the Michigan game and the, the big win over a top 10 CFP team. Um, so these next two weeks are critical because if you struggle, um, if you, and, and you're, you, whether or not they have a winning record or not, I mean, I think that goes into it, but that could, you can see some fluctuation in that. You know, if you aren't doing what you need to do and winning and winning convincingly, whether or not it's on the road, whether it's against a winning team or whatever, um, you know that's that's how this committee's looking at it. Of course, we don't know really how this committee's looking at it because sometimes I think they just maybe put it in a in a little bit of a shaker and kind of roll out the dies and, and say, okay, this is how we're going to do it this week. But once it comes down to the actual final rankings, that's when we're going to really hit it hard. Yeah, uh, unrelated to any of that is like Minnesota being ranked twentieth in the. <laughs> In these college football playoff rankings, which is which is insane by any metric that you think of, especially considering they lost to Bowling Green. So that's Ohio State's best win for for a committee that's looking for good wins. I'll let me ask you guys: you got to talk, want to talk about Purdue, or you still want to talk about Michigan? Why did I just have a flashback to 2007 when Mark D'Antonio finished up his his little brother talk and pride comes before his fall and said, "We're going to talk about Purdue." 
<laughs> no, we're <laughs> my not, we're... favorite part of that whole press conference. <laughs> nope, we're gonna we're gonna discard Purdue at all. But no, I'm just joking. But uh, yeah, I do think Purdue is an interesting matchup. And Graham, you mentioned the spread and the fact that Purdue's historically played Michigan State tough. And it's just like uh, you know when you're number three in the, in the cultural playoff and you're undefeated, there's there's just no weeks off because even even against a Maryland team, which says struggled in two weeks who has struggled against you know the better teams on their schedule uh there's going to be a huge target on their back and everyone's going to kind of gun for them and that kind of starts this week with the boilermakers not only that i mean i believe maryland just beat indiana that should be enough for michigan state which knows where it stands against indiana mm-hmm. to understand that there are no i mean i think one of the things that actually helps this msu team in terms of its focus week to week I think this Michigan State team has a pretty good understanding of who it is and how it's done it, and I think that really helps them. There is no uh, – this is not a team that's going to get high on itself because it's just been in too many games where being disciplined and being just a little bit better in the key moments at the end has been the only difference. And so I think I think that helps them uh, in, in weeks like this and perhaps next week. Well, I mean, Mel Tucker said all you got to do is turn on the tape of Purdue and know you're going to face a good football team. I mean, their three losses, they're five and three, their three losses, all three of those teams were in last night's CFP rankings, Notre Dame, uh, uh, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. So that's one thing to keep in mind. And you look at up and down their stats, right? They don't get penalized much. They're eighth in the country, fewest penalties. Um, their their passing offense is 16th in the country. They throw for over 307 yards a game. Their pass defense is number 10 in the country, gives up 174 yards a game, and their total defense is 17th in the country. You, all you got to do is look at the numbers, and you know you're playing a good football team. The thing that they've struggled to do is put the ball in the end zone. So if you're Michigan State, you have to continue that. You You have to build off of what you did against Michigan, what you've done throughout the course of the season, particularly on the defensive side, because this is going to be a game where you've got to shore up some of those middle issues in the pass defense because they will torch you. Purdue's got good receivers. You know, David Bell is a heck of a player. So I do think that, you know, the focus shouldn't be a problem. And, and the other thing I thought Mel Tucker did is he just he rattled off every single upset Purdue has ever had as an unranked team. Uh, and I believe that there was like 16 uh, top top 10 wins uh, as an unranked team and most in the country. And they've, they've got a number of number wins over number two team in the country. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that, 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 that should have Michigan State focused, particularly coming off that Michigan game, because you got to put that in the past. I mean, this is, this is now four games for your ultimate goal of getting to a Big Ten championship and playing for a college football playoff, which, again, you told us in August, you told many people in August who hadn't seen and didn't know what this team was going to be like, that they were going to be in this position. Um, I don't think anyone would have thought this other than those people who were in the building and, and you know, the, why, why give it up now? Now's not the time to, to start changing that approach. You've changed, you've been one by one week, one game by one game. Um, you got to keep it here because this is a good quality opponent. It's probably better for them to play a team like Purdue right now than a team like Maryland that has been struggling without their top receiver. Um, you know, but this is also a Purdue team that needs one more win for bowl eligibility too. So that carrots there. So, you know, you're going to get a feisty team. Well, you, you mentioned David Bell, Chris, uh, I don't think Michigan state's defense has 
seeing a receiver like this from anybody they played this year. Michigan didn't have a guy that could stretch the field vertically like like David Bell. And I'm trying to go through the other teams. Maybe Miami had a couple guys, but Michigan's defense really kind of you know forced them into you know medium type routes, and they never really took a deep shot. We haven't seen a lot of teams take deep shots. I think Purdue is and David Bell are going to be that team that you know continuously goes deep, and if they hit a couple, the Spartans could be in some trouble. But that's also what the defense prevents. If you 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 know a lot of fans complain about you know why are you playing soft, why are you playing five ten yards because that's it because you, it's between the twenties. Those are meaningless yards, cotton candy yards. I heard someone say, you know, if you're not getting the ball in the end zone, in the red zone, that's a problem. And one of the things Michigan State has done, you know, take out that Andrew Anthony play because that wasn't a vertical route, right? Right. That was af- yards after catch, probably about seventy five yards or more after catch. And he ran away from the defense on an underneath route. You haven't seen teams beat them vertically. You know that's that's how that's why they're playing soft. They say you want to beat us, you beat you go underneath. We'll give you everything you want until you get to the twenty, and then we're going to clamp in. So that's something I think that is also a little different for Purdue. Um, are you going to have those vertical shots, or can you basically do what Michigan did and run those crossing routes, run those those slants? run some of those those inside routes to, to kind of exploit the linebackers and then let your guys do some magic uh, from the receiver and let them them play in space. That, to me, is the way to beat this Michigan State defense. I was just trying to say that David Bell is probably the best receiver they will have faced all year and might, oh, might, yeah. might be able to stretch, get, get that vertical route that we haven't seen against Michigan State defense, and that could present some problems. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, Graham, what are you – What's kind of your take on the way these, you know, the Spartans' defense might might shape up against Purdue? We've seen MSU's defense. MSU's defense is a remarkable unit to me. I've never seen anything like it. Um, and this last game is the best example of, of epitomizing what they are. And it's giving up 552 yards. Yep. It's coming up with the big plays at the key times, the fumbles. It's hitting like you're the freaking Lawrence Taylor or something in the fourth quarter. It's mm-hmm. coming up with the interception. It's And then it's celebrating and, and and acting like you just shut a team out. And what I mean, they don't lose their swagger. They don't lose their – you know, most teams, things start to spiral against them. Yards start to be taken in chunks by the opponent. And at some point, heads drop, focus is lost. They lose their edge. They, they're, they're sort of defeated. This defense understands that that's part of what they're – willing to be and who they are and they don't look at it as an ego punch at all it's like all right this is you know whatever and and i there 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 is a mental strength to that that i i just it's just weird it's it's amazing but it's weird like you just i mean i've covered college football my you know for you know 16 years and and i've seen a lot of defenses that stunk and i've seen some really good ones and i've never seen a defense that um had this level of resolve and continuous resolve and um, and it's it's actually a great way to play modern defense. You know, is is offenses get more intricate. I mean, this is the way you win, right? It's to have a defense that is good enough and not dispirited by giving up a ton. And so I, I think that'll continue. I think they have been who they are the the entire time. I think they they know how to play a good receiver. I don't think Purdue's offense overall is 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 all that scary to them. Um, and uh, it, it'll, it'll it's come very one dimensional. It's very one-dimensional. It'll come down to me whether Michigan State can, you know, the, the games that Michigan State has nearly lost, the two that really stand out being, uh, and obviously they came back against Michigan, but other than that, have been 
uh, Indiana, Nebraska, right? And in those two games, the offense sputtered, yep. and largely because the running game sputtered, and they couldn't do anything there. And, and you know, I think if this Michigan State team can run the football, uh, like I was actually once they could run the football against Michigan, I was surprised to see them down the way they were. I thought, okay, they're going to be they're going to be able to move it up and down, and so I wasn't surprised they were able to put up points. I think the real question comes. You know, on the offensive side of the ball, is there ever any regression again to that? What we've seen at their worst against Nebraska in the second half, especially and and throughout the game against Indiana. Well, it was interesting to see uh, Michigan State's offense sputtered against Michigan. So when Kenneth Walker scores that touchdown midway through the second quarter to make it fourteen thirteen, if I if I remember correctly, and then the Spartans' next touchdown, which was like at the four fifty nine mark, maybe the third quarter, the Michigan State's three drives in between those two touchdowns. Three drives, nine plays, minus 20 yards. So that's a quarter of the game where the offense was completely shut down, and they still come, came back and win this game. And uh, you, we, it kind of comes back to the defense in making plays. You know, the J.J. McCarthy fumble was – I don't know if they necessarily didn't make a play there, but, you know, you, you sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. You get that fumble. And then, you know, Chuck Brantley with the, the huge interception. Uh, I think I was talking with you about this, Graham, like maybe on Saturday or Sunday, where, you know, that – interception reminded me a lot of the Josiah Scott interception a couple years ago versus Rutgers where he was on a guy in the flat and you know some saw something with McNamara and just peeled back and ran back to to pick up somebody else and kind of jumped in front of that pass so it's just instinct that takes over for that defense what you just said though I I think it's important the better to be lucky than good it's it's not luck when you when your veteran quarterback isn't better than your freshman that's a development issue when you feel compelled to put that freshman in there like, I, I've seen that when I used to cover mid-major football, and I'm not going to name one because I don't want people to drink on this podcast. But people would go, oh, if only this didn't happen. Yeah, well, that happened because you're starting a junior college left guard, you know, who the other team doesn't have to start. You know, Michigan State has Peyton Thorne as developed. They're not putting Anthony Russo in there and Russo fumbling and going, if only that didn't happen. Right. No, Peyton Thorne has developed into the guy, and that's Michigan making – that's Harbaugh making a decision in a big moment, and that's Michigan not having a guy – I mean, that's just part of who the program is. So while, yes, there is some luck involved, it's also who you are. Well, there's something you got to keep in mind is that Brantley uh, read that play um, because Michigan had run it a drive previous, and he anticipated it, which I thought was you know, a sign of maturity, and I think that's big moving forward because I think that kid's going to be – a, a big component, but you see, you, you talk about the hitting Graham. I mean, Brantley, Henderson, uh, Crouch, they were all hitting really hard late in that game. And I think Crouch actually probably took Michigan's run game out of the equation with that slam that he had on Corum. Uh, it was either Corum. I know it was Haskins when he tried to make a hurdle. Um, Michigan couldn't run the ball. You know, that's what this defense has done. That defense has, has done a good job of trying to render the opponent's one-dimensional, and if you can do that against Purdue, because they already are ranked 128th in the country in rushing, so you know they're one-dimensional coming in. So you got to be able to to shut down the pass, and you know if you're going to give up those yards in the middle of the field, you got to clamp down in the the red zone, and you can't give up those over the middle plays like they did to Anthony Andrell Anthony and, and let them run away from you. And I think that's something that we've seen Scotty Hazelton correct those mistakes over the course of the season. And and I think that's one thing that they will be anticipating with Purdue is to try and try and minimize that and and still keep the the ability to be flexible and and let them get yards in the middle of the field before they get to the red zone. 
I think another thing that Scotty Hazelton needs to do is just randomly throw Justin White in there for two plays on a cornerback blitz and see if uh, see if he can do anything. Chris, this is a question for you, I think, more than Graham. Was that – I don't mean this to be too sarcastic, but is that the first play Justin White has been on the field this season when he gets that hurry on McNamara and you know puts him out of the game and that's why McCarthy has to come in and then he fumb- McCarthy fumbles on that play? It's just a, a crazy sliding doors moment right there. You know, that was a, a heck of a thing because – They've been using Emmanuel Flowers quite a bit in in that role, you know, as kind of the extra D back, um, you know, whatever it is, like the third nickel back uh, with with Dowell and with Darius Snow coming on, and that was as well timed a blitz as, and and a gutsy call mm-hmm. for a guy who hasn't played a lot. I mean, he's, he's a speedy guy, I mean, he's a former track guy, but that kid delivered uh, uh, and we talk about the big hit that was a monster hit because McNamara was in the injury tent for a while and that may have led to McCarthy being in there for that fumble so huge play huge moment um but showing a comfort with with the personnel that they've got I mean that was Justin White was basically the first transfer that they got um back in 2020 and it's a guy that flew under the radar you think about what Mel Tucker has done it's not just Kenneth Walker from Wake Forest and Harold Joyner from Auburn and Ronald Williams from Alabama. It's Kendall Brooks from North Greenville, who's been really strong on special teams. It's Justin White from Colorado Mesa, you know, making these plays. They've, they've done a good job of identifying talent to fit the, the roles that they want to put these guys in. Um, and, and it doesn't matter if they're a five-star kid or someone you've never heard of. They're making plays. Yeah, I definitely thought they said the wrong name on the telecast when when they said Justin White. And I was like, uh, that certainly can't be right. <laughs> he had been in, he had been in off and on throughout that day, kind of where Emmanuel Flowers had been kind of jumping in uh, as the third guy in recent weeks to to kind of I don't know if there's an injury situation with 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 Dow, but but Snow clearly has been getting more and more reps, um, and, and Dow is still there and still tackling, but they've been working in a third. Uh, Nickelback in, in that, and I don't know if it, they're going more dime or what with it, but but yeah, I mean that's that was that was a that was a mammoth play, mammoth play in that game. Absolutely, you mentioned a potential injury of Flowers. Let's uh, let's stay on the injury front here. Something we haven't talked about yet is Jalen Naylor's hand injury. Obviously, uh, he got injured late in the second quarter Saturday versus Michigan. Had a cast on. I think he might have came in for a play or two in the second half, but he was not on the field very much. He did of, not. He did not. He okay. Did not. Gotcha. And now we, uh, Tucker being mum about uh, Naylor's status at the moment. So I don't, uh, that does not seem like a good sign for this weekend, Graham. And how much does that affect Michigan State without having without Naylor for a full game, full week, and everything? Right. No, I think um, it helps that they've had a week to prepare. I mean, they'll know, you know, internally, you know, what, it, and, and so where, where, where it really could affect them is if, you know, if you're a defense now, you're able to key on Jaden Reed a little more. And that, what's made Michigan State at its best offensively so hard to deal with is you just had so much poison between which to pick, right? It's like you, you you can't really focus, you know, extra extra you know coverage on 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 uh, um, you know one one wide out or the other. You can't. You, Kenneth Walker is is still there, which creates a bit. But you have to think at this point in the season. You know, between Trey Mosley and some of the other young guys, like Tory Foster and other guys that they've liked and have played well, that somebody's got to be ready to 
to step up into a role and, and, and be a guy who's going to have to be relied on because I do think they're going to try to take Jaden Reed away as much as they can. You know, now Reed may be good enough um, to prevent that, but it, it, there's no doubt it's a difference. I think it's better you lose Naylor than Reed, to be honest. Um, but I, I think it's it, either way, it, it, it's it changes you as an offense. It makes you just a little less explosive. I mean, when we look, look, just go back to the Rutgers game, right? When Reed and Naylor together are at their best against a uh, a defense, and Walker's, I mean, that they that can be really, really overwhelming to deal with. Let's, I mean, let's let's go back to Trey Mosley. Talk about someone who was MIA, no catches, other than the two point catch, which was a mammoth play in the game, right? But he needs to step up. I mean, if Naylor is out, um, which I'm not sure. I mean, there's some things that. You know, he comes back, he's got, you know, whether it's a hard cast, whether it's a heavy tape job, I mean, you could tell the two fingers in the middle were taped together uh, with darker tape um, to stabilize them. To me, the training staff doesn't send him back out in full pads and helmet if, if there wasn't a chance of him playing. So, you know, I'm sure there's, there was a lot of reevaluation after the game. Uh, but to me, that that said something, you know, that always says something when a guy is back out there in uniform and still in pad, that says that there is some availability there. So I guess we kind of wait and see uh, what that might be. I mean, maybe he's available on punts or kickoffs um, and not in the passing game. I don't know. Um, you know, we, we'll, we'll find out, but um, you know, with, with Mosley, though, I think Mosley needs to really step up. I really think that Foster and maybe it's a guy like Keon Coleman, you know, cause you, what the one thing that Naylor does bring is that speed, that speed and athleticism. And you might be able, again, you're going against a, a really good pass defense in Purdue. And, you know, do they have the speed and playmakers of Ohio state? Probably not, but they're a good defense. And that's what, what beats a defense is speed. And, you know, you also have to kind of juggle the risk, you know, if, if he's, 60% and, and has an issue with his hand, do you want to risk putting him in in this game? Or do you wait, try and get him back at 85 to 90% like they did with Drew Beasley with the, when you really need his speed against Ohio State? I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see this week and next week what they do with him. Yeah, you mentioned Keon Coleman. That's the guy I was thinking of, uh, just in terms of you know like his speed and maybe, maybe it's his time to have his Angel Anthony moment, if you will. They like Terry Lockett too. I mean, that's that's the thing is like Terry Terry Lockett. They're deep. Christian Fitzpatrick. They've got a number of receivers, but the drop off, but even between Foster and Naylor, you can see it. Um, you know, it's just it's just a different burst when when you've got a track guy like that that can take off and well, and, and make it, big plays. And it's not just speed; it's speed knowing where you're supposed to be. I mean, you think about Naylor. Yeah. Who he was. I mean, Naylor was always this fast, but who he was early in his career, he was more of a gadget guy or. A, Use him here and there, and and, and um, he always had speed. He's hurt. He was, he's hurt. He's been hurt, he's hurt he, until the last two years. We didn't really know what he could be. Yeah, but even when he was healthy, he wasn't a guy who was like a polished receiver. We really started to see that, you know, in that same game that Peyton Thorne had his breakout quarter and a half against Penn State. There were some moments with Naylor that I really was impressed last year, where you started to go, okay, there's. There's a guy on some underneath stuff, um, you know, in, in, in terms of route running catches that look really impressive. And, um, so th that, that stuff just takes time. And you can't, you know, I mean, uh, you, you can say it's Keon Coleman's time maybe to be Andrew Anthony, but obviously Andrew Anthony was ready. And you can't sometimes right. force that guy to be ready. You know, and the other thing is 
so many interceptions occur because receivers aren't in the right places. Just takes a yeah. couple yards off or a quarterback not trusting a guy right. You know, Aaron Burbridge had, you know, an amazing day at Indiana as a freshman. And then it took him four years to get back to that type of spot because he was, you know, they were desperate and they just used him in certain ways, but he didn't understand the concepts of what they were trying to do. He wasn't always in the right places. And, you know, I mean, I, I think for this team and the way they play and what I think this coaching staff prioritizes, they're going to go with the receiver that is going to be in the right place over the one that is going to maybe have the highest ceiling on a given play. Um, because they understand that they're more likely to lose a football game by having that guy in who's not ready. And Foster's a kid. Foster's a kid who was a basketball player, like much like Coleman, you know. But where Coleman was more football centric uh, with his basketball, Foster, than um, I think Lockett as well. Lockett was similar. I mean, played at Minnehaha Academy, so I mean, he had he had uh, some interest in basketball as well. But so you've got the athlete. They're athletes. And Cade McDonald is another guy that I think you need to kind of keep a watch on as well because, um, you know, we saw last year they used him on some underneath routes, um, you know, uh, uh, the walk-on who was a high school teammate of Peyton Thorns. We haven't seen him um, much this year because they've really rolled three guys. I mean, it's been it's been the top three receivers with Reed Naylor and Mosley and maybe Foster here or there, maybe Lockett here or there. And until it would get out of hand, then you'd see Fitzpatrick come in. Um, so, but but that's that. You know, you think about guys that are there that that have game experience. That's that's one of them. I mean, he's made some big plays in the last two years um, that that we we forget about because he's a walk on. And but but that connection with a quarterback sometimes helps, as we've seen with with Thorne and, and Reed. Yeah, Graham. A couple of minutes ago, you were like. You were saying how you don't know. We don't know if like Coleman, for example, will be ready to have his Andrew Anthony on. But I mean, Anthony. I mean, I don't know Michigan how Michigan practices were going in the buildup, but he had zero catches for Michigan up until up until that touchdown reception, which is just a, a crazy moment for sure. It looks like coaching malfeasance. <laughs> they, and, and, and had they won, they would have saved him for the right moment, right? I mean, it's like yeah. wow, that, that was probably not on the scouting department report, and uh, and, and, and very Ricky White esque, except it wasn't two games into the year. Right. It was, yeah, it was quite a bit more. And, and it was, you know, it would have been one thing if Andrew Anthony had the 93 yard catch, you know, off the, the crossing pattern and going, and that was kind of it. And they, they put that in all week and worked on something for him in East Lansing and whatever. But then he was, he was a go to target the rest of the game. The touchdown catch was sensational. I mean, he, he you know, he obviously is on that depth chart uh, at or near the top. You want to, you want to talk about one that, one that didn't count was in the fourth quarter and it was a i mean it's going to be one of those things that you just look at a stat sheet and it just says incompletion that throw that to anthony that he high pointed the ball on the sideline to be in his his hip pocket and and bump him just enough as he's making the catch to knock him out of bounds those are two good plays we're going to see those guys against each other for a lot here in the coming years yeah i thought you were going to say the flea flicker that uh, should have been Anthony's third touchdown of the game that just was slightly overthrown by McNamara. So, yeah, I mean, didn't didn't put enough air under it. Yeah, could have uh, could have been an even bigger day for him. So, anything else you guys want to talk about Michigan State football related? Do we do we have any more hot takes from the Michigan game? Uh, I was kind of just ready for Michigan Twitter to just be 
take the year off, you know, be be a little quiet about it since uh, Michigan State just seems to win all the wins this, win this game all the time. But I think they're even out in full force, even even more complaining about the officiating and everything like that. Both both fan bases were at points insufferable oh, I know. throughout that week, but 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 at the same point, I'm also giving them a pass because and I I kind of thought this through. You know, this is what happens when you had 2020, when you didn't have fans at the games, when everything felt so disjointed. I mean, it, it was two years of, of waiting for this. And you could, and the way Spartan Stadium was, was as electric an atmosphere as I can remember. Um, the way East Lansing was, was about as, as easily better than I can remember any time on campus for a game. Um, you know, the fans brought it. Um, but you know, Twitter, Twitter is what it is. It's its own little beast, but, um, I, I give both of those fan bases the pass because th- this was, you know, first of all, there was so much hype with the way the schedule set up with Michigan having a bye week then Michigan state having a bye week So you basically had a month to, to kind of build to the, that crescendo and rarely does it live up to the hype, but the hype was real. The hype was legitimate. The hype was warranted. And the fan bases, I thought, both responded. Um, but, yeah, let's not take another year off because that I think that pent-up emotion really put some people over the edge. Yeah, you know, I've been here in Lansing for five years now, and I have never seen a weekend like, like this in East Lansing. You got the combination, obviously, the Michigan game, both undefeated, both ranked in the top ten, combined with Halloween weekend, which is always you know one of the the busiest times of the year campus wise in terms of number of parties, people out and about. So you combine both of those things and have all the Michigan fans and MSU fans from out out of town in as well. And uh, it was just three days of absolute pure chaos. And, and again, I've never seen anything like that at all. And it was out of. I thought it was awesome. I mean, in most stretches, just to see campus lit up like that for a weekend. And you kind of mentioned the pandemic there, Chris, and the pent up frustration. And uh, I think that played a part in it too. Everybody kind of let loose on, on on this past weekend. Yeah, no, no, it was incredible. It, it was it was it was an incredible week. It was you know it was an incredible game. It was an unbelievable atmosphere. I mean, uh, I've never seen the roadways that you know jammed for a Michigan Michigan State game or any Michigan State football game and. I've been going to games since I was a kid, right? And and uh, and I think the atmosphere and the everything—it's one of the. It'll go down as you know. I'm not you know. I think we become prisoners of the moment a little bit, but it'll go down as one of the games that we go back to, in, in years from now, and say, "Remember this game and that win." And you know, it's been you know, in, in this business, we always do the the ten years since, the twenty years since, the twenty five years, you know, since this game stories, and it'll be one of those because I think it was it was that big. Yeah, I was telling someone on Sunday that uh, if you're a student at Michigan State, like this is the weekend that uh, you're going to be talking about with your friends and family or your significant others for like the rest of your life, just because yeah. uh, of how insane every, everything went. I mean, what, when was the last time Michigan State had this kind of national attention for a game? Probably the '66 national, uh, basically not national championship game, but what was the de facto title game with Notre Dame? You know, that's you know everything that I've read historically about how East Lansing was that week leading up to the Notre Dame game kind of maybe on a little lesser scale mirrored what this is, but it's a different kind of thing. Notre Dame's one thing, one versus two, Michigan, Michigan state's a whole other thing. And that, that brings out even more uh, of the animosity frustrations and 
whatever you want to call emotions. All right, well, let's move on to our final segment, as always, and that is predictions for this weekend's football game. Graham, how are you feeling about the Spartans versus Purdue? Everyone's talking about trap game. Mel Tucker says he has the receipts. The team has the receipts. Everybody knows this isn't a trap game. What is a trap game? I think is a <laughs> quote that he said at some point, really kind of trying to deflect from it all. But uh, is this a trap game for Michigan State and one that Purdue squeaks out in West Lafayette? Well, I, I think to pick against Michigan State in a game like this right now would be to be to pretend you know something that you don't, right? I mean, it's sort of one of those things where at a certain point you have to trust Michigan State in close games. You have to trust that what we've seen is who they are. I don't think they're going to overwhelm Purdue. I don't think it, it's they're going to run away with the game. Um, but but I do think they'll win it, and and that's just because of you know having watched both these teams, uh, Purdue even a fair bit this year, and Michigan State obviously every game. Um, I, I, Purdue's offense to me is is just not that scary, and and. Um, uh, but I do think their defense could cause MSU some trouble, and we've seen when that happens and it becomes a low-scoring game, things can get dicey. Uh, you know, give me something like Michigan State um, 24, Purdue, uh, you know, 18 or something like that. Yeah, I think that I agree with Graham on that. I mean, they're one-dimensional on offense. I mean, you and again, Michigan State's defense sets up, say you want to throw the ball in short routes, we'll let you do it. We'll absolutely let you throw the ball underneath and get all the yards you want, but we're going to try and keep you out of the end zone. I I think that this is an emotional test for Michigan State more than anything. Um, the emotion of that Michigan game, the high of that Michigan game, and everything that we just talked about with the atmosphere um, ain't going to be that in West Lafayette. No. Never is, right? So you got to be able to create your own energy, which I think that this team has done particularly in going on the road. I got him. I think I think they'll win this one 28 to 17. Yeah, I think I'm sort of with you Chris a little more in terms of the margin. I think that's a good score. I will say I think the score against Rutgers was 31 to 13 and I think I will go with that. Uh I will give this caveat though. And we didn't really talk about this one. Uh I, I have been talking with some people about Peyton Thorne's overall performance especially in the Michigan game and yeah, he he had a great the, the pass to Jane Reed of course. Uh, that you know changed the game on the fourth and four, and then the two point play was to to Mosley was a you know an absolute bullet. But uh, he was wildly inconsistent in that Michigan game, and he's been wildly inconsistent in some other games this year. So I I think if we if there is a game to maybe see him step up and kind of you know kind of be be a, be the man for the moment, uh, I I think Purdue would be a good game for him to do that. Be a big resume builder against that pass defense. All right. Any final thoughts before we check out? No, just you know. The- uh, you know, I didn't know that we'd be this far into the season with with this team and games that were this relevant, and it's it, that's that's a lot of fun. And I think you know, Michigan State fans, having been away from this for six years now, in terms of you know, yeah, 2017 was a little bit of a, a moment, but they they had lost earlier, and, and they sort of I don't think anybody thought that they were. You know, this one has a little bit of a different feel than that, and, and um, I think it's been it's been a while, and it, it's something that I think. People don't take for granted, and it's kind of fun. And we'll get back to basketball at some point because the Kansas game's coming up next week. Uh, this real season opener, not the, the exhibition games. So, Look, a lot no. to talk about, a lot of things to talk about. And um, but when you got the number three team in the college football playoff rankings, that's what everybody's talking about. 
Well, and, and one of my favorite things about this MSU fan base and writing for them is their inability to multitask. It is one of my favorite things because it allows you to be one place. Um, and I'm not saying people don't care about basketball right now, but I will just to let you a little underneath the hood to give you a sense. There is, there are very few games this year that, I mean, depending on how it goes, like the Kansas Champions Classic game will be less red than a regular Big Ten game in, in, in January because people at Michigan State, it, it's a foot, it's a balanced deal. Football, basketball, one doesn't really have precedent over the other, and they struggle to do both at the same time, and I absolutely love it. People's heads right now are in football mode. Yeah, I would say just on a national scale, college, we no, people don't seem to really fully plug into college basketball until January or whatnot. So. Unless you're in Indiana, Kentucky, or some few places. you know There are places they do, but... You're right. Most places, Indiana, K- Kentucky, probably Duke, maybe yeah. a couple, couple other places. Illinois. <laughs> Illinois, for sure. Yeah, we will have plenty of time to discuss uh, Marcus Springham Jr.'s three-point shot selection. So we can, and that's another future podcast we can dedicate <laughs> an entire forty-five minutes to. Three-part serial podcast. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore Couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore Friend, and at LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.